Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, there's cautious optimism as the details of the reopening of the U.S. border are worked out. We are working to clarify and finalize all the details with our American partners. Quebec says a delay in its vaccine mandate deadline for health workers is a last chance. If we give them a little bit more time, given what their uh, professional association have, have told, Maybe late to me in the process, but they've done it this week, and I appreciate what they've done. I think that uh, providing them additional weeks to make their mind could make a big difference. And the new commander of the Canadian Army is under investigation for sexual misconduct. I think the public is just now shaking his head and saying, are there any senior members of the Canadian Forces who are not under investigation? It's Thursday, October 14th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. We're joined by National Post columnist John Iveson. Good morning, John. Morning, Mark. Let's talk about the prospect of the American border being reopened to Canadian travelers who are crossing by land. And, uh, you know, I think there's a couple of, of angles to this. Some people may look at this as a sign that, that things are, are starting to get back to normal, which is encouraging. I think there are others who are still looking at this and asking why Canada was lumped together with Mexico on this one, and whether this is a sign of of uh, the challenges of Canada-U.S. relations right now, despite the fact that there is, uh, in theory, a, a more friendly party in the White House than than there was a year ago. Yeah, I mean, it's it's things still seem to be a little un- unclear, particularly for the for the literally millions of Canadians who've got uh, mixed vaccines. You know, yeah. I, I've got AstraZeneca and Pfizer and, and so have millions of other Canadians, including the Prime Minister. And the guidelines are not clear as to whether those people will be admissible. So um, so there's still a lot of question marks. I mean, I think that the, the science is clear that the, the mixed dosage is effective against COVID and therefore uh, policy will eventually catch up with, with the science. But that is not clear from what uh, uh, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security was was talking about uh, in the last couple of days. It's, I guess, good news is being welcomed by you know people like the Chamber of Commerce, and it will it will normalise relations to some extent. But uh, but obviously we're still uh, we're, there are still a lot of imponderables and, and still a lot of doubts as to what what it means. I mean the job the job does not appear to be finished yet. Yeah. Yeah, and I think a lot of Canadians are asking, and I'm in the same boat as you, having having had uh, AstraZeneca and Moderna. Um, is is there if if we're not allowed to cross into the United States uh, under those circumstances, will we get another shot? Uh, right? Will will there be a will there be another Moderna shot for me and another Pfizer shot for you, so we can travel? Right? Yeah, I think that. that um Medical experts who were interviewed on this in the last day or so were saying that, uh, you know, the medical science is pretty clear on this. So I, I don't think that that's going to be necessary. But, uh, you know, the mixed dose combination is definitely uh, something that the U.S. needs to address. Yeah. And, you know, businesses are saying we, we can't we can't be interop- interoperable with the, the U.S. in the way we need to be until some of these questions are sorted out. So there's another uh, angle related to vaccines, which is uh, it, Quebec is delaying the implementation of mandatory vaccines for healthcare workers to give more time to uh, force some of them to get vaccinated, to extend the deadline. Um, there's a there's a fear that 
that with vaccine mandates, there's going to be an even greater shortage of healthcare workers. And uh, and this is one example of mandatory vaccines being put in place. And this this is a, a theme that was talked about a lot during the election campaign. And I think in some cases, we're discovering that it's it's more difficult to implement than it was to talk about in theory. Right. And I think that, you know, some of us throughout the campaign were saying that this politicization of the vac- of the mandatory vaccine issue was wrong. And, uh, you know, Tr- Justin Trudeau made a decision that this was going to be good for the Liberal Party's re-election prospects to say you must get vaccinated um, or you can't travel or you can't work in the public service. This hard line on, on vaccines is now following throughout the provinces and, as you, as you point out, in Quebec in the in the healthcare system, where there may be unintended consequences to that, you might have a shortage of health healthcare workers. Now, is that a is that a, a, a net benefit to society? Uh, you know, I think that's questionable. The other the other one, which is a, a pretty thorny issue, closer to Ottawa, is the question of whether MPs need to be vaccinated. Yeah, and um, you know, it, it, the the Liberals, the NDP, and the Bloc seem to be in agreement that yes, MPs do need to be vaccinated. There are Conservative MPs who are saying that that is an infringement of parliamentary privilege and that unvaccinated MPs should be allowed in the House of Commons as long as they can prove they had a, a rapid test and that they're, you know, they've got a, a negative result. You know, again, the idea that you, you have to be vaccinated to sit in the House of Commons is going to be, I think, problematic. I, you know, I've... I've I think I said on this show last week, I'm kind of conflicted on this because I do think that the mandatory vaccine policy does work. It does increase the vaccination sure. levels. And, and we're seeing the the, the, uh, the uptake or the, the increase in the in number of people getting vaccinated. It worked in France. It seems to be working here. We're gonna, It looks like we're, we're on course to, to reach the 90% level that everybody wants to get to. But it does create questions about uh, freedom of choice. And I think that um, you know the House of Commons, with the with the the privilege that that, that MPs have, it is going to be a, a, a political issue. Yeah, I'm yeah, not sure that forcing MPs to get vaccinated is going to be. I think it's going to be harder than it than it first appears. Yeah, and and this is a question that Aaron O'Toole is facing as well as Conservative leader is whether he's going to require it of his MPs and. Um, and uh, but as you say, there's there's a, there's a basic fundamental privilege that that elected officials have to enter the House of Commons and cast their votes, and and uh, and any restrictions on that have to be looked at very carefully, right? Right, right. I mean, it's not clear it's going to be a huge issue. We don't know how many Conservative MPs are not fully vaccinated. I think the Canadian Press did a. Start, a tried to do a survey they got they found that at least 77 of 119 conservative MPs are fully vaccinated um you know I suspect a good number of the other of, of the remainder are vaccinated so it's, it's likely to be a very small number but yeah it's it is a fundamental question of the of the right of uh, elected MPs to sit in the House of Commons yeah I think uh this this story may, may have a second chapter All right, John, finally, um, the Ottawa Citizen is reporting that the incoming commander of the Canadian Army, Lieutenant General Trevor Cadieux, who was about to take command of the Army, is now under 
police investigation after allegations of sexual misconduct. He's denied any wrongdoing, but this is yet another example of somebody in a senior role in the Canadian Armed Forces um, and somebody who's who's recently been been given a, a major responsibility uh, being accused of wrongdoing. Yeah, I think the public is just now shaking his head and saying, are there any senior members of the Canadian Forces who are not under investigation? I mean, it does seem to be... I think the thing that, that, that gets the most is the fact that there doesn't seem to be a, a, a proper vetting before these people are appointed. In that, not whether they're guilty or not, but whether there is an investigation on, ongoing. Because you can't assume any of these uh, positions of responsibility with that cloud over your head. I mean, could you admit that? So how how come before the announcement was made, was it not was he not cleared and vetted that there was not an allegation against him? Now, I think it's, we, could, we all kind of rush to judgment and, and, and assume that each of these uh, individuals is guilty. And the Prime Minister, I think, is not helped in that by, you know, this idea that uh, survivors must be believed. You know, I, I've got some sympathy with that idea that, that, uh, that, that people who have who step forward don't do so lightly because of, you know, of all that it entails. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, we do have due process. And it turns out that when a number of these individuals who have been accused have gone through due process, they've been exonerated. You know, Art McDonald, Admiral Art McDonald was appointed as the Chief of Defence Staff. He only served in that job for a couple of weeks. He stepped aside. Military police launched an investigation into allegations of sexual misconduct, and the police did not find enough evidence to, to support laying charges. He is now; his lawyers are now saying he should be reinstated. The government is, in fact, uh, resisting that. It seems. So you know, here's here's a, somebody who is who was who's gone through due process. It seems he's come out the other side and been exonerated and not reinstated. So his career has been completely disrupted. The same may be true of. Uh, Danny Fortin, of of uh, even of Jonathan Vance, any of these individuals who've been accused, uh, we just don't know the nature of the allegations. So it's, it's very. I think it's we should not rush to judgment and suggest that all these people are guilty of something when it's not clear that they are. I think what we can say at the very minimum, though, is that the Canadian Forces culture was it was a sexualized culture, and that. The environment bred bad behaviour. I mean, I think it, these these allegations would not come come forward if there was absolutely nothing there. It seems to me that the culture has to change in the in the current environment. Yeah. I don't think anybody particularly disputes that, even if they dispute the allegations against individuals. And um, ultimately, that the responsibility for that comes down to the government. You know the buck stops with the minister, yeah. And the buck has the buck for this has not stopped with this minister, Harjit Sajid, who has been in charge of the department for six years, and the culture has not changed. And more allegations are coming forward. Something needs to change at the very top there. And you know for, it's okay for the government to to bring in another former Supreme Court justice to look at this, but ultimately it's a political problem that needs a political solution. All right, John. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Mark.
That's John Iveson of the National Post. The single most important economic policy for Canada right now is to put the fourth wave behind us. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Globe and Mail, Conrad Yakabuski argues Christia Freeland's mystique is about to get its first real test. Yakabuski writes, Freeland faces what promises to be a wrenching post-COVID fiscal moment of truth as the income supports that have kept millions of individuals and businesses afloat for the past 18 months are wound down. She has insisted that Canada's debt remains sustainable as long as the rate of economic growth surpasses the rate of interest on federal bonds. But she may not be able to rely on that assumption for long, and that may force her to become even more inventive in achieving her goals. In the Toronto Star, Bob Hepburn warns the coming Ontario election could be the nastiest ever. Hepburn writes, It seems destined to become the nastiest provincial election in history, with TV screens, radio airwaves, and social media outlets filled with sleazy personal attacks on party leaders. Provincial politics are now following the path of our federal politics in adopting the worst of American politics, with never-ending negative campaigns that drag politics through the mud and increase voter disgust. At iPolitics, Graham Thompson considers the Kenny effect. Thompson writes, It's being called the Kenny effect, a political phenomenon where Premier Jason Kenny has become so disliked in Alberta that he's tainting anything associated with his name. We saw the effects in last month's federal election, where pundits, pollsters, and even disgruntled conservatives believe Kenny's unpopularity helped drive down the vote for the Conservative Party. Now there's speculation the Kenny effect is about to strike again, this time in a provincial referendum to scrap the federal equalization program. Now here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The Prime Minister will be in private meetings today. And Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will attend the annual meetings of the World Bank Group and the International Monetary Fund in Washington. Freeland will speak with the media this afternoon. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Thursday, October 14th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.